Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Good morning. This morning's scripture comes from Genesis 25, 19 through 28. He said, See, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt for me, hunt game for me. Then prepare for me savory food, such as I like, and bring it to me to eat, so that I may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare me savory food to eat, that I might bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my word as I command you. Go to the flock and get me two choice child kids, so that I may prepare for them savory food for your father, such as he likes, and you shall take it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. Amen. All right, we are in week two of our series on Jacob, and uh, this photo is very mixed martial arts, right? Anybody a little bit like, whoa? Um, this this photo actually is, is sort of weirdly meaningful to me. My friend Chris, uh, who used to live in this area, uh, was a an aspiring photographer, and uh, he, as he sort of built his portfolio, one of the things that he did, he did a series on local municipal wrestling. And so this is like a, a small venue wrestling, like, uh, like wrestling like WWF, or I guess it's called WWE now. Uh, one of those places in, on Long Island, and he's taking photos of all these guys who have day jobs and who spend their evening like creating characters and becoming these alternate egos and wrestlers. So uh, we put some flames around it, because why not? Uh, but we are in week two of our series on Jacob. And Jacob is such a fascinating figure, because if you wanted to point to a paradigm of honor and a paradigm of doing it all right, you probably would not point to Jacob. But what we see over and over again in the life of Jacob is we see God and his faithfulness and running after Jacob. And so this week we're going to look at another story uh, that Jason kind of began to hint at. We're going to read through a lot of this story today as we begin to see how this, this life of Jacob begins to point to a God who never stops running after us. Now, I remember when my family, uh, when, growing up when I lived in Mississippi, my parents always worked really hard. You know, I come from a family where both parents uh, have always worked. And my mom was working late. There's a lot of casinos in the, on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi. And my mom, for, for a while, worked as a bartender at a casino. And, and so every night she would go off to work three or four o'clock in the afternoon and not get home sometimes till three or four in the morning. 
And my dad, for a time, he was preparing for a new job that he was working. He was actually training. He was away in South Carolina for, I think it was about eight weeks is what it worked out to be. So my mom was trying to juggle all this. And, you know, I, I wanted to be a good son. I saw that she was wrestling a lot. And so I would look for little ways to help out. Um, and I was probably eight or nine at this point. And so uh, I just little places wh- where I could. And so one thing that I saw where I might be able to contribute was with the dishes. You know, every night we would have dinner and then there would be all these dirty dishes. So I was like, you know, what if I could help with that? And so one afternoon I decided that I would tackle the dishes. And so I loaded up the dishwasher and I found the soap dispenser that's on the dishwasher, right? And I put in all of the the, the blue dish soap that goes in there. And then I left and went outside started the dishwasher. Now, at this point, Space Jam 1 had just come out, so I had convinced myself that if I just shot enough jump shots in the front yard, that I too could be like Michael Jordan, and that I was going to play with Bugs Bunny and all that stuff. So there's this moment in Space Jam where Michael Jordan, he's just up early in the morning practicing, and I was just like, yes, MJ, me and you. And now there's, there's fundamental flaws with that plan that would become evident later on in my life. But at that point, when I was eight or nine, nobody had told me that I couldn't jump. So I was still thinking NBA was in my future. And so I'm outside, I'm playing basketball, and my mom comes out and she says, son, did you load the dishwasher? And I said, why yes, mother. Just go ahead and announce to the neighborhood what kind of son that you have. And she said, well, what did you put in the soap dispenser? And I said, the dish soap, which makes sense, right? Turns out, as some of you guys have already well picked up on, the dish soap that goes on the sink is not meant for the dishwasher, right? They have dishwasher detergent that goes in there. The dish soap creates like a foam party in the kitchen. And so my mom brought me in. She said, here's what happens when you load the dishwasher with dish soap. And so sometimes when we are trying to take control of the situation, when we're trying to be helpful, really we're only making things worse. Now, my mother obviously could see through to the heart of my actions, but at the same time, like, we had quite a mess to clean up. And today we're going to look at another moment in the life of Jacob. Last week we looked at, the, at his birth and how it invites us to this tense place of trust in God. And this week we want to delve deeper into this theme of trust because what we see is that this is a recurring theme in the life of Jacob. In Genesis 25, before Jacob is born, when Rebekah is pregnant, she has two boys in her womb, Esau and Jacob. And she calls out to the Lord because her mother's intuition is telling her that even in the womb, these boys are fighting it out. And it would seem that this struggle is so intense that Rebecca wonders, she says, if, if, if my life even worth continuing, this is so hard, even as a mother to these boys while they're in my womb, what's it going to be like when they're outside? And Genesis 25 verse 22 says that Rebecca inquires to God. And she asked the Lord, if it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. 
Rachel in this moment receives a prophetic word from God, this promise. Now you have to understand that this is a complete reversal of the norms of this culture. This was a thoroughly patriarchal society. The father was the sole authority figure. And to be the firstborn son in a family was to be the one who would receive the majority of the inheritance and you would be the leader of the family going forward. For God to proclaim that the younger son would be the central figure in the family was scandalous. But Rebecca receives this promise here in Genesis 25. And in verses 27 and 28, we receive even more insight into this situation. The text tells us, So he went into his father and said, My father, he said, Here I am. That's right. The text, oh, let's see. There we go. The text tells us, When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. And it says here, and this is very important insight into this text, Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, parents, if we could go around the room and just ask you, who's your favorite kid? (laughs) You know the answer to that, right? You don't, you don't answer that question, right? But here in Genesis 25, the, the parents have divided along the lines of Jacob uh, is favored by Rebekah. And Esau is Isaac's favorite. And so we see that there's this deep fracture. There's some problems here. And what we see is not only does Rebekah have a promise from God, she also much prefers Jacob. And this will all become more important in just a moment. But the question we have to wrestle with today is what do we do between the promise and the promised land? God has made this promise to Rebecca. He says that the younger will, will be the leader of the older. God says that this will happen, that there's this reversal that's going to take place. So Rebecca has this promise, but what do we do in the meantime? How do we wait on God to fulfill his promises in our life? And so for us today, we also have to consider what has God promised us? What are you waiting on? What are you longing for? So with that, we turn over to Genesis chapter 27. And we're going to read a significant amount of this story because the story kind of unfolds and I think it's important for us to see it in all of its kind of broken beauty. So in Genesis chapter 27, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called his elder son Esau and said to him, my son, and he answered him, here I am. He said, see, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Then prepare for me savory food, such as I like, and bring it to me to eat, so that I may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father say to prepare for me savory food to eat that I may bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my word as I command you. This is Rebecca talking to Jacob. Go to the flock and get me two savory, uh, get savory food for such as he likes. And you shall take it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to his mother, Rebecca, look, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a man of smooth skin. Jacob's a little vain here, right? Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. 
And his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my word and go get them for me. So he went and he got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared savory food just as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on her younger son Jacob. And she put the skins of the kids on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she handed the savory food and the bread that she had prepared to her son Jacob. Rebekah, before her sons were born, received this promise. Jacob will be the carrier of the promise Jacob will be the one who inherits this promise that was given to Abraham back in Genesis 12. And now this moment has arrived and Isaac has determined that he will bless his son Esau. And it's interesting that as far as we are told in the text, Isaac doesn't know about what God has said about the two boys to Rebekah. That Jacob will be the inheritor of the promise. Isaac isn't privy to this information in the story. Rebecca overhears Isaac's plan and she acts quickly. She makes a plot to deceive her husband and to preserve the promise given to her favorite son. Now, there are a lot of really broken family dynamics going on here that we, we don't have time to go to delve into this morning. But if you have more than one kid, don't have a favorite kid. That's a good place to start, right? But maybe we can say simply that if God can work through this level of family dysfunction... That there's nothing that you're coming from in your own life that God can't begin to work through and to redeem. Rebecca's decision will have immense consequences and further fracture this family that already isn't the healthiest environment that we'll see here in just a moment. And so Rebecca is, is, she's made a determination that she is going to make sure that this all happens, that, that all the promises that were given to her will come true. And so she takes things into her own hands. And so the text goes on here in verse 18. So he went into his father, this is Jacob going, and he said, my father, and he said, here I am, who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. Your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game so that you may bless me. So, this plot that started with Rebecca, Rebecca said, Okay, we're going to trick Isaac. Now, Jacob is fully a participant in it. He says, Bold face to his father. When, when his father asks him, Who are you? He says, I am Esau, lying to his father. Now, don't miss this because this is so important. Rebecca and Jacob are taking advantage of an old man, an old man who is too blind to see. A couple of years ago, my grandmother called me frenetically, and and I answered the phone, and she said, oh, oh my goodness, you're okay. And I said, "Uh, of course, Grandma, I'm okay. And she began to explain to me that somebody had called her, claiming that they were me, and saying that I was in prison And that I needed money, I needed her to wire me money immediately in order to bail me out. Now, not the, I guess probably not the furthest flung idea that I might be in prison. But I said, Grandma, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. And, and, uh, you know, honestly, if I I were to need money, I I wouldn't call you first. And so somebody's been lying to you, somebody's been trying to take advantage of you. And for us as a society, people taking advantage of the weakest and the most vulnerable among us. It's one of those things that, that really gets us all, like, really angry. And this is what Rebecca and Jacob are doing here. They're trying to take advantage of this old man who can't see it. They're lying to him. They're trying to steal from him. 
And the text goes on. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of his father, his brother Esau came in from his hunting. And he also prepared savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father sit up and eat of his son's game so that you may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your firstborn son, Esau. And remember, this is Esau now. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and blessed he shall be. When Esau heard his father's words, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, Bless me also, father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. This is a part of an earlier story. And look, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have already made him your Lord. And I have given him all his brothers as servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, father? Bless me also, father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. It's at this moment that Esau and Isaac discover the plot that they have fallen victim to. Now you have to understand, we live in a society where our word is viewed with much less of a binding quality, right? We all say things that we'd rather would have not have said, and then we change our minds or take them back. People say one thing and then do another, but in this culture, the word of the father, the oath of the patriarch, was binding. There's almost a magical quality to this blessing that um, Isaac has bestowed upon Jacob. I mean, you would think that once they discover what Jacob has done, that Isaac could just say, ah, you know, like clearly you stole that. I'm going to now take that and bestow it upon my oldest son Esau. But for Isaac, he's saying, I, I can't do it. I've already given my one binding word. I've already given this blessing. And Esau is undone. He's weeping, pleading with his father. Don't you have anything left over for me? And Isaac does what he can to give him the scraps from his table. So let, let's survey how all of this has unfolded. God, in Genesis 25, had prophesied to Rebekah, the mother of, of Jacob and Esau, and she said that her favored son Jacob would be the recipient of the promise. And she overhears Isaac saying to Esau that he intends to give him his patriarchal blessing. And then she swoops into action, orders that her son lie to her father, she deceives her husband, and causes heartbreak for her other son. And that's not all. Look at what the text says in verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of her elder son Esau were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is consoling himself by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. Until your brother's anger against you turns away and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you back from there. 
Why should I lose both of you in one day? Esau determines to strike Jacob down. We've already seen in Genesis 4, brother will kill brother. Cain kills Abel. And in this moment, we, we again have strife between brothers. Esau is going to kill Jacob. Jacob has to flee from his home. And here's the thing. This mother's favored son, Rebecca loves Jacob. And she says, go away for a while until your brother's anger has subsided. This is the last time Rebecca will ever see Jacob. Rebecca swooping into action has caused this sequence of events. And now we've arrived at this moment where the fracture is so deep that Rebecca, while, while grabbing control of the situation, has actually changed the situation. She had this promise, but she thought the promise depended upon her. And the family is thoroughly broken by this. And now you could conclude that God saw the future of this family, that he knew what people would do. He knew all the things that would happen, but I'm not so sure. What we see as a repeated pattern in Genesis is that people have this promise from God, that he's going to do this incredible, impossible thing, and people respond not by saying, okay, God, I trust you. I will wait on you to to do this thing in my life. People respond by saying, okay, now I have to make it happen. And how often do we do this in our lives? How often do we have this promise from God that he wants us to live this beautiful and full life and then we say, okay, now it's all on me. And what is it that causes us to feel like we need to make things happen for ourselves? For Rebecca, there's clearly an anxiety about the future. Sure, God made this promise, but will he keep it? You see, God's promise to Rebecca that the younger son will be the foremost, that he will be the prime man in the family is an impossibility. It's as much of an impossibility as we looked at last week where Rebecca was barren and God blesses her with children. And so friends, what has God promised you? What has he said? I will make sure that it happens in your life. For Rebecca, there's this anxiety about the future. Sure, God made this promise, but will he keep it? And in this moment, it seems because Isaac has determined to bless Esau that any hope for Jacob's promise to come true is about to be lost. So Rebecca jumps in and she acts, and she acts deceptively. Now, I'm not even getting hung, hung up today on the morality of what they've done. Like, obviously, you could say, well, that's, that, they didn't do the right thing. And so, uh, clearly, there was a brokenness that comes from that. But Rebecca's attitude, as it comes to God's promise in her life, reflects the, the notion that God helps those who help themselves. And friends, can I ask you this morning, what is it that's causing you anxiety? What is causing you fear and worry Where is this false gospel of scarcity being preached over your life about the future? Is it that you won't have enough? Is it that God won't keep his promises to you? Is it that he has forgotten about you? Is it that you will be alone or you won't be taken care of? Is it that there isn't enough to go around? Is it that God has rejected you and doesn't want anything at all to do with you? Scarcity, anxiety, fear, All of these things cause us to try and grab a hold of the situation, to grab the reins of our future, to take the fruit from the tree, to be like God, and to think that we have all the knowledge of exactly what we need. 
And if you're like me, you know that feeling well. You know that overwhelming sense of, oh my goodness, I am forgotten. Like, God, I, I know you've been with me thus far, but at this moment, you are no longer with me. The, the process of, for us, of, of, and we're still in the middle of it, of planting ecclesia, like, at times was bleak. Like, Courtney and I felt that we had this, this call from God, this promise that he wanted to do a new thing here in this place, to plant this church, to gather a community together. Like, like Rebecca, we had this promise that was in some ways impossible. It needed God to, to be a part of it. But making that happen, like that's a whole different thing, right? Like how do you start a church? How do you build something from the ground up? How do you gather people? How do you pay for it? How do you find a space to meet? And once you do, will anybody show up? Like, it's this crazy thing. If you could look through my journal over the last year and a half, you would see sometimes the scrawlings of a crazy person, just like, ah, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Why? Why did you ask me to do this? Like, me yelling at God in all caps in my illegible handwriting. God, are you listening? And friends, I know, because I've walked with people for a long time, that I'm not alone in that. That we go through these moments where we feel like God is bringing us through this furnace and we just feel like God has left us. That we are all alone. That we have this promise. Sure, God wants me to live this certain kind of life, but, but I have to make that happen now. And between the promise and its fulfillment, between the promise and the promised land, what do we have? How do we know whether it's time to move, to take action, or to wait now, it's easy to judge Rebecca's actions by the results. We can see the whole story, but how are we supposed to know when it comes to our own lives? I find it interesting that when Rebecca, in Genesis 25, when she's worried about what's going on inside of her, these two boys, like it just, she can just sense it as a mother can with babies in her womb. And she's like, these boys are already in conflict. They're already going at it. In that moment, she reaches out to God. She calls out to him and she finds that God is not far off. He answers immediately. But here in this moment, as Isaac determines to bless Esau, there is no hint of prayer. There is no like, God, okay, I had this promise. Now what do I do in this moment? She just swoops into action. And it's this action that breaks this family in two. But between the promise and the fulfillment, the same God who promises and brings them to bear, the same God who said that this will be how uh, I have ordered it. This is my promise over your life. This is the goodness that I have for you. That same God is present all throughout. Jesus in John chapter 10 shows us both the fulfillment of the promise and the way towards the promise. He says in John 10.10, 10, a verse that is so formative for Ecclesia as a church, that the thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy, but I have come that you would have life and have it abundantly. The promise of Jesus, the promise for each and every one of our lives that Jesus has for us is that we would have life. That is life, not just life in this little uh, trickling sense, but life in its full, life in abundance, in extravagance. This full life, this promise includes peace. Ricardo, you can put up that one with just a different, yeah. 
peace, Jesus says, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. It, it includes provision that you will be taken care of. Consider the birds of the air. They neither gather nor sow nor reap, and yet God takes care of them. Presence in the darkest moments, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Uh, salvation, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for all and purpose that I am sending you out as my agents of the kingdom. God has given us everything that we would ever want for life. He will take care of us. He will be beside us. The promise is that God is kind and that he loves you and that he holds the best life for you. He's not holding this life over your head to tease you or waiting for you to prove your faith. He's not testing you. Rather, he's unfolding grace in your life over the course of a lifetime because the ultimate promise for us is that we would know him. The ultimate promise is that we would walk alongside of him, that we would have God in his presence in all of its fullness, that you would live your life under the care of the good shepherd. And this is at the heart of what I want to say to you today. I'm not telling you that this story about Rebecca and Isaac and Jacob is telling you to be a passive agent in your life, to just blindly hope that it will all work out. What I am inviting you towards and what I think this passage embodies is a life of relentless trust and relationship with God. First in his character, the trust that the God who promises is able, that he is willing, that he is kind, that he wants to bring it about in your life, that you would trust that the God who promises is as good as he seems. But second, that you would trust that you can walk alongside of him during every step of that promise's fulfillment. That to walk with him is in its sense a promise fulfilled, that it is God with us and amongst us. Every time in the Old Testament we see this. We see this so often when the people are faced with an impossibility, like the people who are brought out of the Egyptian slavery, they're brought to the sea and they stand against the banks of the sea and there's nowhere for them to go. They literally can do nothing except wait for their impending death and God makes a way through the sea. Friends, it is so often that God is just inviting us to wait on the Lord, to wait on his word, to wait on his action, to be alive to what he's doing in the moment. And that's where the relationship piece comes in and so vital. Rebecca, I find it so fascinating that she prayed in the first instance, but in the second instance, she didn't have any words of prayer. She just jumped in. She said, this, I have to make this happen. And I think God during all of it is just saying, just trust me. And so friends, what is it that God is saying, you can trust me with this? Is it that you want to be married? Is it that you want to have a relationship with somebody? Is it that you want a job that is more fulfilling? Friends, I don't know that God has promised all of the things that we want in our life will come to bear, but I do know that he has promised us that he will be with us in every moment. Those places of aching and of longing are God drawing near to you and saying, do you trust me? And what we see throughout the scripture, what we see throughout the Jacob story is that he is worthy of our trust. Anxiety about the future, fear about whether we will have enough or whether or not we are loved or significant causes us to try to write our own stories. But Jesus in John 10 is saying, I am the good shepherd. 
I draw near to my sheep. It says in verse 3 that my sheep know my voice and they follow me. And Jesus is trying to say that between the promise and the promised land is the presence of Jesus. That, That in a sense the fulfillment of the promise itself is God himself drawing near to us. That between the promise and the promised land is Jesus drawing near to us, laying down his life for us, inviting us to know him. And what we find is that the destination, the promises, the things that we think, like if this would just happen, my life would be amazing. It never works out that way. I'll never forget Tom Brady, beautiful Disney chin and all, talking about all his Super Bowls that he's won. And he's sitting there and he's talking to a reporter and he just says, I, he's like, I just feel so empty. He's like, is, is this it? Like all this stuff that he has worked for, Brazilian supermodel wife, amazing life, the the sort of American dream in extreme. And he's still like, is there more? It's because we always think that our circumstances are going to change us. We always think our circumstances are going to be the thing that fulfills us. And what we find is that it doesn't work that way is that God is wanting to draw us into a loving and life-giving relationship with him, that the promise is, is that we will be taken care of, yes and amen. The promise is that there will be joy and beauty in this life, yes and amen. But the ultimate promise is that we would know him, that he is good, that he is kind, and that we would live our life before him every day of our lives. The Christian mystic Catherine of Siena says that all the way to heaven is heaven. That the way to the promised land is the promise itself, and that is the presence of Jesus. And so friends, I don't know what it is that's causing you anxiety, that's causing you that ache, that's causing you to worry this morning. I'm sure it, it has all the validity in the world. But what we see from the life of Rebecca is that God is asking us this question, and he asks, us to us, he asks it to us daily. Do you trust me? And trust is not something that we sort of build up like, okay, now I have enough trust for the week. Trust is a daily and momentary exercise in the goodness of God. The voice of the good shepherd is saying to us, I will be with you. I will provide for you. I love you. Between the promise and the promised land is his presence. So will we allow God to be the promise itself, to be the thing that, that sustains us, to be the thing that, that welcomes us? Or will we try to wrest control for ourselves? And what we find is when we try to take those reins we hold so tightly, life becomes not about what we uh, can do in, in light of who God is, but about our circumstances. And so will you trust that God's promise for you is for your good, that he is able, that he is willing, that he is kind? Or will it be about you making it happen, that God helps those who help themselves? What we see in the life of Rebecca is she had received this promise, but she had forgotten. The one who gave the promise is faithful and able and willing. She took control of the situation for herself. And what we see is a great tragedy, right? This family is broken apart. It's going to take a, another monumental move of grace that we'll see later for, for there to be forgiveness, for there to be wholeness. But Rebecca never sees her son again. And what we see in the life of Jacob, and we'll talk about this next week, 
is that even though Jacob has deceived his father, even though he's stolen from his brother, God is still unrelenting in his faithfulness. He still shows up to Jacob. While Jacob is sleeping, God appears to him and says, I'm still here with you. And so friends, even if you feel like today, you're like, oh man, I've blown it. I've tried to take control. If that's you, God is still faithful, pursuing you relentlessly. But between the promise and the promised land, is the presence of Jesus. He is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for you. Let us pray. Beautiful God, we ask, God, that we would see that the thing we need most is not the thing we think we need most. God, the thing that we need most is not the thing that that keeps us awake at night. God, the thing that we need most is to, to trust in the beauty and the call of your voice. God, then in all the places where it seems like the promise is unfulfilled, Lord, that you are working, that you are moving, God, and that we have to seek out what it is you're asking of us, what it is that faithfulness looks like, what it is that that belief in you looks like. And God, may we see through this relentless act of trust, God, that you are good, God, you are kind, and that your desire is to give all of yourself to us. And in, and in that, in receiving that, God, we find life, life to the full, God. We find purpose and joy and blessing, God. So Lord, we ask, Lord, would you, would you make us people who seek not just the promise, not just the promised land, but your presence, Jesus. God, would you shape us to walk this life with you? It's in your name we pray. Pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.